We greet you once more this afternoon in the Lord's name, having met together for the purpose of worship and praise in preparation for enablement to go forth and serve him well and faithfully. The subject this evening is in the form of a question, and I believe that we can uh, safely assume that everyone here could answer this question in the affirmative. But the question is, and quite often we might be in a position to be talking to people where we're not sure of our standing before the Lord, or we're probably convinced in many cases that they do not answer this question as we would. The question is, have you believed on Jesus? If we think about that question for a few moments, we could and we should also ask this question. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? Have you believed on Jesus? What must it mean to believe on Jesus? A second question, do you believe in God? Most likely, the second question is the question that most Christians would ask if they come in contact with someone that they meet and talk with. And most of the time, the answer of that someone would be, of course, I believe in God. The problem with this is that it is the wrong question to ask in the first place. In James chapter 2 and verse 19, there's a clear distinction that I believe is appropriate. James 2 19, the scripture says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Do you and I really know that believing that there is a God is not, in fact, sufficient to save one. To, not sufficient to deliver one's soul from the pits of sin and corruption and eventual condemnation. Even Satan and his demons believe this. Indeed, they know this for a, in a definite fact. So the question is not or should not be, do you believe in God? But rather the question ought to be, have you believed on Jesus? The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 asked Paul and Silas a question that led to the correct answer because he asked the right question. In verse 30 of Acts chapter 16, concerning the Philippian jailer after having witnessed the prison walls being shaken and the chains being broken and the prisoners freed from the stocks. After Paul and those that were in prison with him preached and sang praises to the Lord and the <coughs> Holy Spirit intervened, the Philippian jailer, fearing that those prisoners had escaped, physically escaped, sought to do himself in because he was responsible 
that those prisoners not escape. And he was ready to take his own life rather than face the tribunal that would be his surely if they had escaped. But Paul spoke to him out of the darkness and said, Do thyself no harm. We're all here. And the jailer being troubled, it says in verse 30, And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He asked the right question. And Paul and Silas answered him correctly and clearly and without ambiguity, distinctly, in the very next verse. Acts 16.31 says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Notice, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto them the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Now we're going to digress just a moment, but to put one issue to rest. And we hope we can put it to rest in your mind so that if you're ever confronted with this issue, you'll know how to handle this. There are people in the world today who would read that passage in Acts 16, 30 and 31, where it included, if thou shalt believe, thou shalt be saved, and thy house, that that teaches a doctrine of household salvation. So that if a parent, for example, believes, that automatically bestows salvation upon the rest of the people that lived in that house. Not so. There's no such thing as household salvation hinted at in the scripture. In fact, contrary to that, just the opposite. Paul is saying, in effect, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Meaning very clearly, if any of thy house also believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. They preached Christ unto them, and to all that was in his house. No household salvation here. Not even any household salvation suggested. So put that aside. The question is to every individual. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul? It is my prayer, it is my hope that we will, by God's gracious and sufficient enablement, be allowed to declare and show just what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want this message this afternoon to be as clear as words can speak. What does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? First of all, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you must be made to realize. Did you hear? You must be made to realize. That means there is a force outside of yourself that leads you to a conclusion. You must be made to realize who is the object of faith. Not what, who. The person, the object of your saving faith, who is that person? In other words, you must be enabled to know in whom you are to believe. On one occasion, Paul himself said, I know whom, that's a personal pronoun referring to an actual being, I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he, that same person, 
pronoun he, is able to deliver that or to keep that which I have delivered unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed. <coughs> the scriptures that we're going to be using for the next few minutes tell us plainly, clearly, unambiguously. Not, a, not room for debate about what he's talking about. Tell us whom we are told to believe in to the saving of lost souls. Whether you're able to turn to these scriptures as we refer to them, at least take these down. These are scriptures, some scriptures that clearly teach whom we are to believe. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Some individuals in the presence of Jesus Christ said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. He's referring to someone that God sent. He's referring to himself. You must believe on him that he sent. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, another scripture that clearly teaches in whom you are to believe. In 1 John 4 and 9, the scripture says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. He clearly identifies this whom, His only begotten Son. God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might believe in him. In John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, this narrative concerns the blind man who was blind from his birth, to whom Jesus had given his sight. Now, we want to make clear that the scripture talks about that he did not restore his sight. To restore would indicate that at one time he had sight, and lost it. But he gave him something. He had never seen the light of day in all of his years. He was always blind. Verse 35 of John chapter 9, in that regard. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Now if you go back and read that entire narrative, the uh, leaders of the Jewish synagogue by the time of this writing, were well aware of who Jesus was and they were determined to silence him and keep him quiet, so to speak. They commanded every member of a Jewish synagogue, don't have anything to do with this man and his doctrine. If we find any of you having anything to do with this man and his doctrine, we're going to expel you from the synagogue, excommunicate you. We're going to kick you out. Now to an orthodox Jew, be they a proselyted Jew or a natural born Hebrew who was trained as a Jew, <coughs> they had been taught for years and years that the Hebrews, the descendants of Abraham, were God's chosen people. And they assumed from that teaching that they were exclusively God's people. 
and that no one else could possibly be saved except them. And so when this man, Jesus, comes on the scene and preaches a doctrine contrary to the doctrine that the Jewish priests and, and rabbis had been teaching them, they saw their little empire being threatened. They saw their position being challenged. And they saw that some were following after this usurper, as they called him, this blasphemer, this one who would come in and steal away their followers. Because Jesus preached a different message than they'd been preaching. And the Lord saved some, even among the Jews, he saved some. Even among those that were steeped in Jewish tradition and had been trained all of their life, even as children, categorized into that particular realm of thinking. And so the synagogue was a very, very valuable place in their mind. It gave them membership and an exclusive club. That's what it amounted to. And their human pride caused them to value that position above any other position. We're God's people. And they would stick out their chest and brag and pray long and loud and pharisaically in every way and every opportunity. And anybody that comes along and preaches a doctrine that salvation is free didn't go well with them. <clears throat> so, this blind man had been questioned by some of those leaders since he received his sight. And by the time verse 35 comes around, he'd been put through several inquisitions, several interrogations. His mother and father were questioned. And they said, he's of age, ask him. In other words, he's responsible for his own decisions. Ask him. And he was responsible. So anyway... When Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that is, they had excommunicated him from the synagogue, and when Jesus, or when he, Jesus, had found this man, he said unto him, listen to what he said when he found this man to whom he had given sight. One question he asked them, him, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Did you notice that question? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He the man who had had sight given to him, answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him. What does that mean? After you were given sight, you saw him. And it is he that talketh with thee. And upon that witness... The man said in verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. When he acknowledged that he believed on Jesus Christ, he began to worship him. He was no longer just a physician that had given him sight. He was a benefactor. He was the one who gave him his sight. Would he not worship him? Now apply that in your own case. When the Lord saved you and brought you from condemnation into justification, brought you from death to life, gave you an awareness of an eternal standing before God that you never had before, <clears throat> is that action not worthy of your worship and praise for him who delivered you into such a state 
from the state in which you were before? Yeah. Is he not worthy to be praised? And so this man, as soon as he was it made was made known to him that Jesus, whom you have saw, I've seen with your eyes, who gave you your sight, is the same one that now stands before you. And upon that testimony, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Clear scriptures. You may use these as you imagine yourself meeting someone tomorrow. Meditate upon these before tomorrow so that you can surely use the scriptures that will verify what it means to believe on Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus saith, and I added here for clarification, to Thomas, who had doubted, when Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It is an exclusive path to the Father. No other way. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Therefore we conclude from the scriptural standpoint that Jesus Christ must be the object of our saving faith. We must believe on him. Also, we must believe more than the person. We must believe on him, What that believing on him is to believe that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. Do we believe that? We must believe that if we are truly believing on him. He is the virgin-born Son of God. Of old, the prophet Isaiah, some 500 or so years before the incarnation of Christ in the flesh, prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Very familiar scripture, but you need to use that scripture when you're talking to someone about what does it mean to believe on Jesus. The prophecy said, Therefore the Lord himself, <clears throat> now Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself. Now, if you'll notice in your Bibles that this Lord is capital L, lowercase o-r-d, not Jehovah, though it is God, yet this is manifestation of Elohim, the covenant-keeping God, the Almighty. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive. Pause for a moment. Unheard of. Humanly impossible. A virgin shall conceive. And bear a son. And shall call his name. Emmanuel. With us. God. Do we believe that? To believe. Who he is. You have to believe that. Now that prophecy is recorded for us. In Isaiah 7.14. Then we find it fulfilled in the New Testament, where it again is repeated in Matthew 1, 21, 1, 23, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, verse 23. Listen to this now, coming from Isaiah 7. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now to the virgin to whom that messenger was sent, he sent further instruction. 
in relation to that virgin who shall be with child, God sent a messenger unto her to tell her, to assure her, to comfort and strengthen her. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 35. Here's the word that came to the virgin when she was found to be with child. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, <clears throat> and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Unheard of, impossible. But God said that's the way it would be. And he sent word to comfort Mary, who was to be the mother of this unborn child. Now, to Joseph, who was a mere mortal, but to whom the virgin was espoused, that means promised, but not consummated, was also given comfort and assurance from God directly by way of an angel came to Joseph. Matthew 1, 20 and 21. Mary was found to be with child, and Joseph had been troubled much over that issue. What ought he to do? To put her away privately? To publicly humiliate her? What was he to do? Verse 20 of Matthew 1 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, again establishing the lineage of David and of Mary, both of the house of David. Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, not some man. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The question is, do you believe that? To someone that would say, oh, I believe in God, does he believe that? To believe in God to the Savior of his soul, he must believe that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. It is important now that we believe that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. We must believe that he is God come in the flesh. That's more than important. It is essential that we believe. It is imperative that we be given faith to believe the otherwise impossible. 
Another scripture that clearly teaches this truth. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Listen carefully. Hereby, by this declaration, by these means, by this scripture, hereby know ye. Here's how you'll know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, and notice that every spirit, that's a salt, lowercase s, P-I-R-T. Every spirit of man that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So that would be a renewed spirit, one in whom the Holy Spirit has already quickened that human spirit that was otherwise dead in trespasses and in sin. Knowing, therefore, that Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is God. Verse 3 says, And every spirit that confesseth not, that's the other side of the issue, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Clear distinction. There's a division between those that believe that and those that don't. And this is the spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. To believe on Jesus Christ also then means that you must believe that he is the Christ. That he is the anointed one. That's singular. The anointed one. That he is the Messiah. You must believe that if you're to be saved. Matthew 16 Verses 13 through 17. Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He asked his disciples directly, specifically, and pointedly, and they said, the disciples answered, some answered one way, some another, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now it gets specific. Verse 15 says, He saith to them, But whom say ye that I am? That's what people tell you. What do you say? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Notice the Christ, the definite article, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one and only, no other. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's an open confession that is undeniable. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So if you come across someone say, you can believe on Jesus anytime you want to. You better refer them to this verse. Flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, Simon, who I am. Brother, my Father which is in heaven has revealed it to you. God is the giver of life. In John chapter 20, there's all sorts of words mentioned that teach this principle. But particularly, we want to look at one verse. A whole lot has been written in the book of John and in the other writings of all the things that Jesus both began to do and teach. 
and the word was that I suppose that if all that he did and taught were written, the books would not, the world would not be sufficient to contain them. But verse 31 of John 20 says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's clear. That's not debatable. Un it's, it's unquestioned. In John 1 and verse 41, the Lord begins to call men from among the world as his disciples. Verse 41 says he, and he's referring to Andrew, who he's already called. He, Andrew, uh, added that, first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. In John 4, verses 25 and 26, you're familiar with the woman of Samaria whom Jesus encountered at the well. Verse 25 and 26 of John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He made himself known. Again, it is important that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, yes, indeed, it's important. It's more than important. It's essential. 1 John 2.22 Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He's antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. No believer will deny that Jesus is the Christ. Only unbelievers. 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, to further our case, to believe on Jesus is to believe that he is exactly who he said he is and that he did exactly what he said he would do. Precisely. He's exactly who he said he is and that he did exactly what he said that he would do. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Anointed One. He claimed to be God in the flesh. Did he acknowledge that? Well, look in Mark chapter 14. You'll find the scriptures give a clear answer. Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. There had been some inquiries in the priest and among the priests all about who he was. But beginning with verse 61, but he held his peace and answered nothing. They questioned him. They interrogated him. He didn't respond. Again, meaning after the first inquisition, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62 said, And Jesus said, I am. He answered clearly. He didn't leave any doubt. The high priest knew what he said. All those that heard him knew what he said. I am. 
And he went further and said, And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus claimed to have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Did he come for that purpose? Did he accomplish that? Luke 19 and verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. <clears throat> and John 18 and verse 9 says, That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which he, thou gavest me have I lost none. Did he come to save whom he came to save? He said, when I've lost none, he means I've saved every one of them. Or I will save. In the final analysis, he will lose not one that he intended to save. He is who he said he is, and he will do exactly what he said he would do. He came for that purpose. Also, to believe on Jesus is to repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15 says, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. But what is the gospel? We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. These verses tell you that you must believe how that Jesus died, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again the third day according, meaning in full compliance with the demands and stipulations as set forth in the scriptures. He came to save his people from their sins. What happens when you believe on Jesus Christ? Well, <clears throat> the most precious promises in all the Bible are those that God made to you when you believe. Meditate upon that for a moment. The most precious promises in the Bible are they those that God made to you when you believe? I want you to please read these scriptures that we use to close this great and good message very carefully. These scriptures teach what we've been saying this afternoon. John 3.16 So common that oftentimes we just mention John 3.16 and don't even read it. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <laughs> whosoever believeth. Doesn't mean whosoever won't believe or doesn't believe. Whosoever believeth. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that mean what it says? It does mean exactly what it says. Does that mean every human being will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ? No. There are millions and multitudes of millions of people down through the ages who have never called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I can handle this myself. John 6.37 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Doesn't say one word about him that cometh not. It's talking about those that cometh to me. I will in no wise cast out. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness. I defy you. I challenge you. It's not a profitable situation for you to take up, but you might want to look at it. All the prophets bear witness of the same truth. There's no conflicting prophecies between this writer or that writer. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Positive. Definite. Guaranteed. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? <clears throat> or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He came to do. He did. The question is, have you believed? And the question should be when you're witnessing to someone else, have you believed on Jesus Christ? Oh, I believe there's a God. That's not the question. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he's the virgin-born son of God? Do you believe that he said what he intended to say, did what he intended to do? Do you believe that he took the place of those that he came to represent and died for all their sins that they might be set free? Do you believe that? I'm talking when you're talking to someone else. That questions what you believe. Do you believe that? I'm going to close with this thought. This is the single most important question that you will ever be asked. And now that you know what believing on Jesus Christ is, and what doing so can do for you, <clears throat> have you believed on him? 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Do you believe that? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise you to begin a conversation, nor to debate or become agitated when someone tries to give you the answer, oh, I believe in God. But I do urge you not to be distracted. That's the wrong question. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Do you know who he is? Do you know that he's the anointed one of God? Do you know that he's the Messiah? Do you know that he is the sin bearer? Do you know that he's the one that came with the express purpose of saving his people from their sins. Do you know Jesus? May God help us to be as clear and distinct, yet as kind and as gentle as we can be with those that we come in contact with so that we do not leave the impression with them that God's folks are just sort of wishy-washy and just anything's good enough. Whatever you believe, that, that's all right. That's not all right. That's not good enough. Do you believe on Jesus Christ? That ought to be 
what you try to impress upon everybody that you have opportunity to witness to. I don't mean to do it belligerently or antagonistically or argumentatively. Don't do it at all with an ill temper or an ill feeling. Do it lovingly and kindly. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? May God bless you and keep you. And may God enable each of us to be true and faithful witnesses and bearers of truth loving those that we come in contact with even though there's much about their human personalities that is totally unlovable you love them anyway if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ they're in real trouble and they need to hear the truth they need to hear the truth spoken as we've sought this afternoon to lay out a path for successful and faithful witnessing. Must the witnessing be successful on men's terms? No, it's successful if you do it God's way. It'll be fruitful if you do it God's way. Whatever God would intend that message and that testimony to be, it will be if you and I have done it faithfully and truthfully. If we start mixing in, I think, and perhaps, and maybe, and what about this and all, if you get off on all those rabbit chasing trails, you're not speaking clearly. You need to stay with the truth. This is what God said. To believe on Jesus to the Savior of your soul, you must believe who He is and that He came to do and that He did and that He's coming again and that He's given eternal life to as many as believe on Him. Please stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Meet with us on Wednesday evening at 7 and again Sunday morning at 10. Continue to pray for our church. May God help us to be faithful and diligent and loving and kind and invite your neighbors, invite your lost loved ones, invite anybody you come in contact with. When they walk through that door, we want them to find a loving atmosphere, but more than anything else, we want them to find the truth without contradiction, clear truth. Brother Terry, dismiss us in prayer, please. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray you again, Lord. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, for our salvation, most of all, for the life you took for us, your provision that you see for us. Lord, thank you for bringing us together, our Lord, that we can assemble in your name to study your word, sing praises to you, and worship Jesus in every way. We pray for everything we've said.